Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. Uh, So this week we've got an in-between series. This is a one-off message that God's kind of laid on my heart that um, I feel like is for us in this season. Um, And so... So I hope, I hope you receive it with a, an open heart. Um, you know, over the last few weeks, as we've talked about the series Minimized and talked about the Holy Spirit and who he is and what he does in our lives, one of the things we didn't really talk about was some of the, well, we talked about some of the things that happened at Pentecost, but one of the effects of Pentecost in the life of believers is that um, there was a hunger that was developed. And so people who are active in pursuing Christ and, um, and, and really filled with the Spirit have a hunger for God that is unnatural. Um, they are pursuing God in a way that seems abnormal to other people at times. And this is a side effect of what God did at Pentecost, I, I truly believe. And, and it's interesting because one of the things we see is the people who were impacted by Pentecost, they, they refused to settle for a normal, a normal relationship with God. They were pursuing more. They wanted more than what they currently experienced. And this is something I believe is important for every believer, is for us to say there's gotta be something more than what I'm currently experiencing in my life, in lots of different areas of our life, but specifically with our relationship with God. Over the last week or so, if you've been watching television, you know we had Thanksgiving on Thursday, and, and every time Thanksgiving rolls around, there's a lot of talk about uh, our history and settlers and pioneers that came to the U.S. and settled our nation. And I don't know about you, but when I think of the word settle, I don't think of it as a positive thing. It's, it's sometimes I think of it as a negative thing. I've got a theory that in every relationship, there is a reacher and a settler. There is somebody who is reaching out of their weight class, like they are getting somebody they shouldn't get. And then there's a settler that is settling for somebody that they probably shouldn't settle for. Um, and settle just sounds like a bad thing. But what we hear are these people settled in the United States. And really when we think about settlers, um, what these people did is they left their home, they left what they knew, they left what was comfortable, they left uh, their provisions, they left their jobs, they left their families, they left, uh, many of them left a lot of their possessions and they moved someplace they didn't know where they were going. Uh, They had never been there before, but they believed that it was going to be better. And so when we call them settlers, especially in our context, we think of it in the wrong way, I think. I think the word settle just has a negative connotation because when we think about it in our context, I think sometimes we think of settlers like this, that settlers protect things and build walls, but pioneers say there's something more out there and I'm gonna find it. And I think God wants us to be more like pioneers than settlers. God wants us not to simply build our walls and protect what we have, but God wants us to say, we know there's more out there, God, and we wanna find it. Whatever it is you've got for us, we want it. We wanna be on the front edge of that. We wanna experience that. So God, let's go. And so my challenge to you today, and the title of my message today is quite simple. It's just settle for more. We as a people tend to settle for less, but what if we settled for more instead? Um, Settling for less comes pretty easily 
to us, even in scripture. In the book of Genesis, uh, we're introduced to who becomes Abraham. He's first known as Abram before God changes his name. And we hear about him through his father's story. It's in Genesis chapter 11. Let me read verse 31. It says, one day Terah took his son Abram, his daughter-in-law Sarah, or Sarai, and his grandson Lot, and moved from Ur of the Chaldeans. He was headed for the land of Canaan, but stopped at Haran and settled there. Terah lived for 205 years and died while still in Haran. So this is what he intended to do. Terah said, we are going to Canaan. Now, spoiler, Canaan is the promised land. It wasn't the promised land yet, but this is where he was heading. Terah said, I feel like we're supposed to move to Canaan. Let's go. But they didn't make it to Canaan. What happened? Well, they stopped in Haran and settled there. In fact, he didn't just settle there. That's where he lived the rest of his life and he died. And it's interesting because his word settled in the Hebrew, it's yashab. And yashab means to dwell. Literally, it means to sit. So this last week, <clears throat> we were uh, down south. We spent some time with family in Florida, but specifically, we were at Disney. And um, I realized while I was at Disney, I spent about half of my time simply looking for someplace to sit down. <laughs> like, Every time we paused the walking, which wasn't often, I realized, like, I'm just looking for some place to lean or sit. I didn't care where it was. I would find a shady spot and sit because uh, I was tired. Uh, we walked and walked and walked and walked and walked. And then when we were done walking, we walked some more. In fact, I rode some rides that I normally wouldn't ride just because it offered the opportunity to sit down. <laughs> If you've ever ridden, it's a small world after all. Does anybody remember that? So it's terribly disappointing, especially when you've ridden Avatar the day before. And then, you know, it's this virtual reality. You're swinging, doing all this stuff. And then you get on, it's a small world after all. And you hear it incessantly. It's a small world after all. And then you're hearing it for the next two hours after you get off the ride. I did that just so I could sit for like eight minutes while we're going around. I just wanted to sit. I was tired. My feet hurt. I just wanted to sit. I just wanted to find some place to settle down. <clears throat> and we as people, we naturally settle. Organizations naturally settle. There, are, there can be periods of growth and development and improvement, but, but our natural state is to stop, is to settle, is to go, I got to find some place to sit down. And so what happens is we will settle in a place that maybe we didn't intend to. See, Terah intended to go to Canaan, but he didn't make it because he got to Haran and said, I got to sit down. I, I got to take a break. This is good enough. I had a goal in mind, but, but that's not where we need to go because this is good enough. And I will tell you, good enough is the enemy of God's best in our lives. If, if you want to experience God's best in your relationships, in your marriage, in your work, in, in anything you do, in your relationship with God, you've got to eliminate the phrase good enough from your vocabulary. Because good enough will never allow you to experience the more God has for you. So what did he do? He, he settled in Haran. He lived his life there. He died. And the reality is there are many people that do the same thing in the spiritual. We, we pursue God and we go, God, I've got these intentions of following you. And we get to a place and we go, yeah, but this is pretty good. And what happens? We, we settle there and we live our lives in this spot and we die. 
never experiencing the full promise, never experiencing the more that God has for us. So God reaffirms his covenant with Abraham because God gives this covenant to Abraham and he says, everywhere you put your foot is going to be your descendants' land. He reaffirms it with Moses. He reaffirms it with Joshua. So Joshua, Moses has died. Joshua is leading the children of Israel into the promised land. And Moses is dead and God's given him a pep talk. He's trying to help him get psyched up to go and lead the children of Israel into the promised land. And this is what God said. He says in verse three of chapter one, I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set your foot, you will be on land I have given you from the Negev wilderness in the south to Lebanon mountains in the north, from the Euphrates River in the east to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, including all the land of the Hittites. Did you hear that? All the land of the Hittites. Aren't you excited about that? No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. For I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. Did you hear that last part? I will not fail you or abandon you. God says, I'm giving this land to you. You just need to go claim it. It is yours. You would think that they would rush in, right? Like, woohoo, let's go. This is ours. God is giving it to us. And he, he defines the borders. This is what is yours. Now go take it. I'm with you. You got this. But that's not what happened. God promised them 30,000 square miles. That's how much territory they had dominion over if they would have claimed it. At their peak, Israel, the kingdom of Israel, even when they were split between Israel and Judah, occupied about 3,000 square miles. Even if you're bad at math, you have to know that's a tenth of what God promised them. God said, I've got this for you. And they said, that's great, we'll take this. They settled for less. Why? Why would they do that? Why would they say, we'll take less when they could have had more? Why would they say, we'll do less when they could have done more? Well, don't we do the same thing? Doesn't God give us a promise? We go, yeah, that's great. I'll I'll just take this though. What we see in, in scripture is two and a half tribes of the 12 tribes of Israel settled on the eastern side of the Jordan. They didn't even go into the promised land. They said, before they even got to the promised land, we'll take this, we're good. Why? We do it even today. We settle for less. We, we're happy with less than God's best for us. You know, the, this message got stirred up in me um, there's a passage of scripture that's kind of been on my heart for a couple of years, honestly, and I've talked to the staff about, man, I think this would be a good series. And um, I keep getting voted down. And so, um, so when we had this open weekend, I was like, man, this is, I feel like this is a good opportunity for me to share this. It's been on my heart. So let me read this passage to you. This is about a man named Jehoash. Jehoash was the king of Israel after Israel and Judah had split. So he was the king of Israel. Uh, and Elisha was the prophet at that time. Now I don't be embarrassed if you don't know the difference between Elijah and Elisha. Uh, Elijah came first, Elisha came second. Elijah was a prophet and he was translated into heaven on a chariot of fire. Elisha saw that happen. He was, Elijah was his spiritual father. He sees it happen and then he takes on his mantle and he becomes this incredible man of God, does incredible things for the glory of God. And he is the prophet while Jehoash is the king. And so in 2 Kings chapter 13, 
we see this brief story about Jehoash, and it's at the end of Elisha's life. So this is where we'll pick up in verse 14. It says this, when Elisha was in his last illness, he literally is on his deathbed, King Jehoash of Israel visited him and wept over him. And he says this, my father, my father, I see chariots and charioteers of Israel, he cried. Now this is significant because this is the exact same thing that Elisha says to and about Elijah whenever he's translated into heaven. So King Jehoash, he recognizes this, he speaks it because he's trying to transmit that there is significance here, that you're not just my pastor, you're not just a guy, you are a spiritual father for me and there's impact here. And so he is blessing him in this moment. Now listen to the way he responds. Elisha told him, get a bow and some arrows. And the king did as he was told. Elisha told him, put your hand on the bow and Elisha laid his own hands on the king's hands. So the he tells, he tells the king, Jehoash, go get a bow. And he gets it and he brings it over and he's standing there and, and Elisha just reaches out his hands from his deathbed. He reaches out his hands and he puts his hand on Jehoash's hand. And there's this powerful moment of blessing because something powerful happens through touch, through just being in physical contact with somebody, especially um, in this kind of circumstance when there's a... Tr- not a transference, it seems like it can't happen if you're not touching, but there's something powerful about laying your hands on somebody else and letting blessing work through you from God to them. And so this is what he's doing. And then he commanded, open the eastern window, and he opened it. Then he said, shoot, so he shot an arrow. And Elisha proclaimed, this is the Lord's arrow, an arrow of victory over Aram, for you will completely conquer the Arameans at Aphek. So the Aram had um, been in conflict with Israel, and Israel was not as strong as they once had been. So there was some concern geopolitically about what is this going to look like? How is this going to transpire? And I'm sure the king was concerned. Elisha sees that. He blesses him, and he says, hey, you're going to have victory. God, just like this arrow went out, God is going before you. You got this. God has got it. And listen to what happens next. It says, then he said, now pick up the other arrows and strike them against the ground. So the king picked them up and struck the ground three times. But the man of God was angry with him. You should have struck the ground five or six times, he exclaimed. Then you would have beaten Aram until it was entirely destroyed. Now you'll be victorious only three times. And this can be a little confusing because it's like, wait a second. He didn't tell him to strike the ground five or six times. So why would he be mad? You didn't even give him directions. I get that. I've I've mentioned before, my wife's idea of clean and my idea of clean is very different. So when my wife says, would you help me clean the house? Like, sure, I got this. But I have to be specific and go, well, do you want it your clean or my clean? Because if you want your clean, I need a list, right? If If you're happy with my clean, I got it. She's like, no, I'll make you a list. Okay, good. You gotta be specific. Tell me exactly what you need, right? And Elisha was not specific in this moment. Kim and I have had moments where we've had the the classic couple conversation where it's like, well, I I want you to help around the house. I do help around, but I want you to want to help around the house. And it's like, I don't want to want to help around the house. Like, who wants to help around the house, right? But what Kim's talking about is my heart in that moment. Like, I want you to be engaged for me. It's not about the house. And what we see in this moment is Elisha He was angry. And he wasn't angry at Jehoash. He was angry for Jehoash. There's a big difference. 
He was angry for Jehoash because of what Jehoash was leaving on the table. He was saying, hey, Jehoash, um, your heart is not engaged the way it should be. You struck the ground. You did what I told you to do, but, but you, were, you lacked enthusiasm. You lacked persistence to go further than was asked. You did exactly what was asked, and that was all. So, so you should have done more. You could have done more. You settled for less because you could have wiped out the Aram nation, but you're not now. You're only going to defeat them three times. See, your fruit is based on your faithfulness. You were faithful three times, that's the fruit you got. But you would have gotten more fruit if you would have been more faithful. Does that make sense? Sometimes when we see people upset, we think that they're mad at us. Sometimes they're mad for us. I know pastors aren't supposed to get angry. Um, once in a while I do, from time to time. Like last week I had to write, it's a small world after all. Um, there was a situation <clears throat> um, in 2020 when we closed the church for 12 weeks and we met online only. We reopened in June and, um, and people didn't come back like they were before. And I under, totally understood some of it because some people had legitimate concerns. But I was also frustrated because I saw a number of people who said, we're not coming back because we're nervous about COVID, but they lived their life every other way as if COVID didn't exist. It's like, we're nervous about coming to church because of COVID, but they will happily go to Walmart and just crawl over people for sales. And so it's like, wait a second, this doesn't make sense. And so I had to check my heart at one point because I'm like, am I just being prideful? Is this just a pride thing? Like I'm upset because we don't have as many people as we had before. And I was having this conversation with other pastors. What I came to realize is honestly, in my heart, I wasn't I wasn't upset because our numbers went down. I was mad for people. Because I, I felt like you're leaving something on the table when you miss godly community. You leave something on the table when your gifts aren't being used. You leave something on the table when you're not actively being used for the glory of God. There's something that's missing from our lives. And I wasn't mad because they weren't coming to church. I was, I was mad for them because I thought, man, you're missing out on what God wants to do in you. <laughs> that manifested in not such a healthy way. I was in Giant Eagle and um, Abby was with me. It was before she went to school. And this was like November of last year, <clears throat> about a year ago now. And there was a gentleman, we were standing in line, and there was a gentleman walking through and he called out, Pastor Mal. I said, hey, and I called him my name. It's good to see you, man. How you doing? And I hadn't seen this guy in a long time, like well before COVID. He hadn't been here in a couple of years. And uh, man, miss seeing you and your family. How you doing? Good. And how are you? Good. How's the church? Doing, doing well. Thanks. And he said, yeah, well, when, are you, uh, when are you guys going to open back up? We're open. He said, oh, really? When'd you open? And I said, well, we, just since June. And he went, ah, okay, well, have a good day. And I was like, yeah, have a good day. And he walked off and Abby said, daddy, why did you say it like that? I was like, I couldn't help it. It just came out of me. The sarcasm, I've got to keep it at bay. Like it just comes out. But I wasn't mad at him. 
I'm not mad. Oh, but I, I wanted to say, well, what are you doing to your family? Get them involved. Get them plugged in. You're missing out. And this is what Elisha was saying to Jehoash. You are leaving something on the table when you settle for less. So stop settling for less. Settle for more. Believe God for bigger. Dream bigger. Go further. Have your heart fully engaged and let's see what happens. So the question is, why do we settle? The first reason I think we settle is just because of comfort. We get comfortable. I was looking for some place to sit because my feet hurt. I wanted to be comfortable. You know, the biggest issue in our nation is we are addicted to comfort. We like what's known. Did you know that people will stay in bad situations just because they know the bad situation? Over the years since I've been here at Summit, I've talked to a number of ladies who were in abusive situations, who recognized they were in abusive situations, who refused to get out of the abusive situation because they felt like that was better than going into the unknown. These are people who are intelligent. They weren't, they weren't dumb. They were smart. They knew it didn't make any sense. But this is what we do as human beings. We are attracted to comfort, even if it's dysfunction. There's comfort in the known. It's interesting because if you plant an acorn in the right soil, it will grow. If you plant it in the wrong soil, it will not grow. If you put it in the beach, right, it's going to get washed out to sea. It will never produce and what's happened for so many people is we've gotten comfortable in the wrong environments. And because of that, there's no fruit. There's no more in our life because we are comfortable in the wrong place. And I think what God wants to do is say, I'm going to make you a little uncomfortable. But we resist it. We will fight it because we want comfort more than we want almost anything else. Jim Collins, I, he, I don't, to my knowledge, he's not a believer, but he's an author and business leader. He wrote a book called Good to Great that I've referenced before, and it's one of the all-time bestsellers in business and leadership. And this is what he says in his book, Good to Great. He said, good is the enemy of great, and that is one of the key reasons why we have so little that becomes great. We don't have great schools principally because we have good schools. We don't have great government principally because we have good government. Few people attain great lives in large part because it's just so easy to settle for a good life. We get comfortable. We say, this is good enough. Man, you could have a great marriage. I know, but I've got a pretty good marriage. Man, you, you could be doing really well in your business. Yeah, but we're doing good in the business. Man, you could be intimate with God. You could know God intimately. Yeah, but I'm going to heaven. I'm good. So what's happened? We've sacrificed the best for pretty good. As a church, one of the things Pastor Steph has had to do is learn how to say no because we get lots of opportunities. Lots of people come our way with ideas and things they want us to do or help with or contribute to or be a part of. And typically they're good things, but we've had to say no to some good things so we can say yes to the best things. And part of this is just saying we know what we're supposed to be doing. We know what we're comfortable with. We know what God's called us to, and we're never going to sink back to that place. Comfort. 
Why do we settle? Busyness. We're busy. Um, but we're busy doing good things. And as people were walking in, I was talking to folks as they were walking in this morning. Man, how was your Thanksgiving? Oh, it was good. What'd you do? Oh, we had this and this. And we went to lunch here and to dinner here. And we had this and all kinds of stuff. And do you know what I didn't hear anybody say? Like, well, you know what? It's been busy. I uh, ran over a couple people. I punched a guy in the face. I strangled a guy the other day. It was like, wow, you're busy. You got a lot going on. You're just wreaking mayhem all over the community. Good for you, right? Nobody's saying this stuff. Everybody's saying good things. Well, we had a hockey tournament. We had this and we had this. And okay, it's good stuff. We're busy doing good things. But one of the problems is all those good things are getting in the way of the best things. The good things pile up and it undermines the best things in our lives. Over and over and over, I talk to people who get busy, who have stuff going on, and as a result, their relationship with God suffers. They settle in their relationship with God because they're busy. Let's be honest, people settle in their relationship with their kids because they're busy. They settle in their relationship with their spouse because they're busy. They settle in all kinds of areas because they're busy. But they're busy doing good things, so that's how we justify it. That's how we prop this up. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus is telling a parable of uh, the sower. And there's this farmer who he goes out and he scattered seed and some of the seed falls on the path and it's snatched up by the birds. Some of the seed falls on um, rocky soil. So it's, it's not much soil. So it springs up, but there's no root. So it withers. Some of the seed falls into the, the, the place where there's thorns and thistles. And so it grows up, but the thorns choke out the life. And then he scatters seed on good soil and it finds purchase and it grows and develops fruit. And so later his disciples are like, I'm so glad his disciples are dumb like me. His disciples are like, Jesus, we have no idea what you're talking about. Can you give us a clue? What is that all about? And he said, okay, let me explain it. And he walks through the parable with him and he explains it. And, and the part where he talks about the thorny, the thorns and thistles, he, he says, it's, it's someone who believes and they have faith and they have life, but then the cares of this world are the thorns and thistles and it, it chokes out the life. So what happens so many times is we come to faith in Christ or we have this experience with Jesus and then before we know it, we get busy and things start encroaching into our schedule, into our lives. And before we know it, Christ is squeezed out. Um, youth ministry is squeezed out. Kids church is squeezed out. Church at small groups, all the things that were once important are squeezed out. And now we don't understand why our relationship with Christ has stalled, why we feel stuck. And it's because we're busy and because we're busy, we settle. I've talked about this before, but this is gonna be offensive to some of you, I'm sure. Um, I've never known anybody who was planning an event they're bringing in a caterer and they're like, you know who we need to get? Taco Bell. Now, for the record, Taco Bell's delicious. Amen. <laughs> I should have known. They wouldn't be open if people weren't buying this stuff. But this is the thing. I've never woken up 
one morning and been like planning my day out. I'm gonna be like, you know what? I'm gonna schedule everything around lunch at Taco Bell. I've got a big meeting, we're going to Taco Bell, right? Like I've never done that. Here's what I do. I'll eat Taco Bell at 2.30 in the afternoon when it's like, oh my gosh, my schedule's been nuts today. I'm starving, I haven't anything to eat. I gotta get something, I'll just pull in here real quick. And then I pay for it later. Or even worse, it's like 11 o'clock at night and I'm like, I missed dinner, I'm starving, it's been crazy, I'll just pull in here. What am I doing? I'm saying, I know I could eat something better, but I'm not because I'm settling for Taco Bell. And that's what happens. We settle because we're busy. We're settle because we have things going on. And God says, you should settle for more, not less. You should settle for more in your relationship with Christ. Busyness will lead us to settling. Busyness will lead us to another thing, exhaustion. Exhaustion is one of the things that causes us to settle. And let's be honest, our world is exhausted right now. People are burned out. People are worn out in the world we live in today. We're exhausted. And because we're exhausted, we settle. Because we're busy, and because of the busyness, busy doing good things, we get tired. We're worn out. Let's be honest, socially, politically, everything going on in our world right now, it's exhausting. So what happens? We lower our standards and we settle. Um, I've had more people I know personally either leave ministry or lose their ministry in the last couple of years because they settled, because they were exhausted and they settled for something they shouldn't have settled for. They were exhausted and they settled for a relationship with maybe somebody in their church that they shouldn't have settled for. They were exhausted and they settled for a relationship with somebody online that they shouldn't have settled for. They're exhausted, so they settled for pornography when they've got a relationship with their wife, but instead they settle because they're exhausted. We settle when we're exhausted. You know, an exhaustion can be a symptom of good intentions. Did you know that? Just like we can be busy doing good things, we can be exhausted from doing really good things. I gotta get the kids to t-ball and I don't want them just on a t-ball team, I want them on the select travel t-ball team. Is that bad? No. You should want the best for your kids. Well, I, I'm working for the promotion, so I'm putting in extra hours. Well, okay, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with the promotion. There's nothing wrong with a better salary. The problem is that maybe you're exhausted and you're gonna settle for something you shouldn't. Maybe you're prioritizing things you shouldn't be prioritizing. This last week, we were at Disney with uh, some of our family, my wife's sister and her family, and I love them. They're fun. Uh, but she's got four kids, a couple of little ones, and it made me so grateful that I had a 19 and 16-year-old daughter. It's like, oh, thank you, Jesus, that I don't have little kids. And I thought as I was watching them, I thought about so many people that are part of our church and so many people I know who have multiple kids. And a lot of them have good plans. 
And the plans might look something like this. Hey, we're gonna pack your lunch in the morning. We're gonna get you up. We're gonna get you ready. You're going to school. When you get home from school, you, you got um, a snack and you can watch some TV for 30 minutes while you're re- while eating your snack. And then you're gonna do your homework. And then we're gonna go to dance or tea, whatever it is. And then we're gonna come home and take a bath. And then we're gonna get you in bed at 8.30. That's the plan. And how many of you know that plan never happens? Because life happens, things get in the way, we're busy, things happen. You're like, why are you not wearing shoes when you came home from school? And where did you get this underwear? That's not yours. And uh, things happen, right? (laughs) And then after the wife has maybe worked a whole day outside the home and she's working with the husband gets home and he has the audacity to say something like, why are you so stressed out? You, you've been around all day. You haven't had anything to do. And then you, like, you start twitching like you're about to kill him in that moment, right? So what happens? We have these plans. Here's what the plan is. We're going to do this, and I'm going to be a super parent. And then life, and we're exhausted, and the plan goes out the window. And we settle, and we go, I don't care that I said 30 minutes of screen time. You can have the iPad the rest of the night if you'll just be quiet, right? Why? Because we're exhausted and we settle when we're exhausted. It's easier to do when we're exhausted. We wanna find some place to sit. We just wanna rest. We just need a break and we settle. Fourth thing is the cost. The, The reality is, most of us aren't willing to pay the price for more. We want more, don't, don't get me wrong. We want a better marriage. We just don't wanna do what it takes to have a better marriage. Oh, I wish my relationship with Jesus was better. I just don't wanna put in the time praying. I wanna hear the voice of God. I just don't wanna read my Bible to learn what the voice of God might sound like. I, I, want, I wanna be a high achiever in business. I just don't wanna do the work that a high achiever has to do. See, we want the 1% life, but we don't want to do 1% things. So we say, I want to experience that. I just don't want to do what it takes to experience that. So what we're saying is the cost is too high. I've told you before, I know how to get a six pack. I know how. I'm not doing it. If you ever move, you know you will take your china and you will wrap it in a protective coating. And that's what I've done with my abs. I have wrapped them in a protective coating. (laughs) They're never gonna be injured. It's not a mystery. My body fat is too high for me to have six pack. I get it. I'm no dummy. I just am not gonna do anything to get a six pack at this point in my life. The cost is too high. I'm not willing to pay the price. It's one thing when we're talking about six-pack abs. It's another thing when we're talking about our marriage. I know I can have a great marriage. I just don't want to put the work in. Now, we don't say things like that, but we know it. Mel, how do we get a marriage like you and Kim? (laughs) You work really hard, right? It's not because it magically happened. We're just skipping through fields of lilies hand in hand. You work hard. The problem is most people don't want to do the work to experience. How do you excel in athletics? You work harder than anybody else. The problem is most people don't want to. I worked for a minor league baseball team for a year. 
And we had guys on that team that had been drafted in the major league draft. We had guys that were incredibly talented. Guys, there was no reason they should have been playing at the level we were at. Our level of professional baseball is like a hair above our over 40 league here in Indiana. That's what it was, okay? It was technically professional, like we were paying them, but that was, it was like lowest rung, right? And we had guys on our team that I was like, what is this guy doing here? He is too talented, he's too gifted. And what I'd find out later is there were things that kept him here. It might be alcohol abuse. And he knew I could advance, but I'd have to give this up. And I'd rather be here and have my alcohol than advance. What's he saying? The cost isn't worth it. Hey, I know I need to learn how to hit a curveball in order to advance, but it's hard. And I can be here and make some money. This is good enough. The cost isn't worth it. And over and over and over, we have these value propositions in our lives that we will say it's not worth it. The problem is when it comes to our relationship with God, when we go, I know I could be intimate with God. I know I could be closer, but the cost isn't worth it. The price is too high. That's a problem. But that's a reality. The last thing is just our past. Our past has informed us. We've had hurt, we've had failure, we've had disappointment, we've had betrayal, and our past says, you're never gonna have anything more than what you've got right now. You don't deserve it. So why try? It's, it's not gonna work, it's gonna blow up in your face, so why would you even try? And we go, you're right, and we settle. Your last marriage didn't work out, so why would you think this marriage is gonna work out? You've taken risks before. It didn't work out for you, just settle. And that's what we do. And here's the problem. The longer you've settled, the more significant an event it will take in your life to move you forward. So if you've settled for a long time in your marriage, it's gonna take something big to move you forward. It might take your spouse saying, I want a divorce. If you settled in your physical health, it might take you talking to your doctor and your doctor saying, hey, you've got six months to live if you don't change something. Maybe in your relationship with your kids, it might take them cutting you off, them saying, I don't wanna to talk to you anymore. And I don't want that for you. I don't want you to have to experience something cataclysmic in your life in order to move you forward because I want you to hear this. God wants more for you. He wants you to settle for more in your relationship with him. He wants you to settle for more in your relationship with your spouse. He wants you to settle for more. And you can have it, but why are you occupying 3,000 square miles when you could occupy three, uh, 30,000 square miles? Why have you settled for less? And God's got so much more for you. The reality is it's hard. It's hard to move past our past, isn't it? It's hard to focus on the future. Because see, when we look at the past, there's something comforting about it. And we can kind of take some peace in our pain. It doesn't require much of us. But if we fix our eyes on the future, it might require something. But what if we did? What if we looked at the possibilities of what God could do instead of what didn't happen in our past? 
What if instead of looking at the cost of what we will have to give up to have the marriage we dreamed about or have the relationships we dreamed about, the friendships, the, the relationship with God that we dreamed about, what if, what if we looked at what the return is instead? Instead of what we're giving up. What if we prioritized our schedules and our lives around the things of God rather than just the good things in our life that make us busy and ultimately make us exhausted? What if instead of <laughs> settling for Taco Bell, we could eat something with substance spiritually? I want you to hear this. I think there are times, and I've certainly seen it in my life, that God will make us uncomfortable to propel us forward. There have been seasons in my life where I was comfortable, and if God hadn't made me uncomfortable, I wouldn't have changed seasons or directions. I would have been stuck. I would have settled. And God knew that's not what was best for him or for me or for the kingdom ultimately. So I thank God in hindsight that he made me uncomfortable, that he did things in the moment that were painful that ultimately led me to his best. Maybe God's making you a little uncomfortable. Maybe God's shaking some things up in your life and you're thinking, this isn't God because God wouldn't want me to be uncomfortable. No, maybe he would. Because sometimes our comfort is an enemy to God's best in our life. In John 10, 10, Jesus said, the thief comes only to still kill and destroy, but I've come that you might have life abundantly. See, Jesus' desire for us is to experience abundant life. What that means is more. He wants more for you. And I'm not talking about a get-rich-quick scheme. I'm not talking about possessions. I'm talking about real riches, relationships, love, Joy, the things that matter. Matthew 6.33 says this, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And he, talking about God, will give you everything you need. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Um, Jesus was talking about worldly possessions and he said, basically, you're focused on the wrong things. Focus on heavenly things, on the things of the kingdom, and you will get all the stuff you need. Don't worry about this stuff. Focus on this stuff. And this is what I'm telling you today. If we'll focus on more of God and saying, God, I want more of you. I want to have that hunger that the, the disciples had on the day of Pentecost. I want that. I want to pursue you. I want to lay aside things that I think are important in this life that really aren't. I want to lay all that down and know you more, God won't disappoint you. So that's my challenge to you. Settle for more. Don't settle for less in your marriage, in your relationships, in your friendships. Don't settle for more, uh, for less in your finances. You don't have to be broke all the time, living paycheck to paycheck. There are ways for you to do better. We got Financial Peace University to help you. There are all kinds of tools and things you can do, but it takes us saying, I'm not going to settle for less. I'm going to settle for more. Let's settle for more in our relationship with God. Hey, right now I'm going to turn it over to our host in Blairsville. They're going to close out the rest of this message. They're going to give you an opportunity to respond. 
I hope you guys know this. I love you more than you know. I'm so glad I get to be your pastor. God bless you. You know, if we want more from God, and I don't mean stuff, but if we just want more in our relationship with God, more intimacy with God, it begins with Jesus. He is the bridge. He is the one who bridges the gap. So if you're here and you're not in a relationship with Jesus, you've never surrendered your life to him and to his lordship and kingship for you, I want to give you an opportunity. Or maybe you're here and you're a believer, but you realize, man, I've settled in a lot of different areas and I don't know if that I'm actually walking with God. Because I think we've, as a church, not just our church, but the church has done it a service to a lot of believers by making our faith largely about just getting to heaven. And if your faith is just about going to heaven, then you have missed a huge part of what our faith is all about. It's about intimacy with Christ. It's about knowing God. It's about having peace in your life, carrying the glory of God wherever you go. So maybe you've said a prayer. Maybe you've been very religious, but you recognize that your relationship with God is empty. I wanna give you an opportunity to respond. In just a minute, we're gonna sing a song and we will finish up after that. And while we're singing, our prayer team's gonna be here at the front of this room. Some of our staff is gonna be here as well. And I wanna encourage you, if, if you feel like God is maybe convicting you a little bit, maybe speaking to your heart about some things, in just a minute, when we begin to sing, I would encourage you, come find one of our team, let them pray with you. Because I have a feeling this message might have been convicting for a lot of you because it's convicting for me. And one of our team would be honored to pray with you about whatever's going on in your life, whatever it is that maybe you think you've settled for, settled on. We want to pray with you about that. But for those of you that say, Mel, I recognize I'm not really following Christ. I want to give you an opportunity to respond. So if you would, bow your head and close your eyes all over this place. God, in these next few moments, I pray that you would take what happens in this room and you would seal it. I pray that this wouldn't be an emotional response. But God, I pray that as we respond today, we'd be responding to your goodness and your beauty and your kindness. And it would be your Holy Spirit that draws us to you. So God, minister in these next few moments. Let this be a holy moment before you. Now with nobody looking around, if you'd say to me, Mel, I know I'm not really serving God. I know I'm not really in relationship but I want to, I want to be in relationship with God. Would you be bold enough to slip your hand up real high and say, include me in this final prayer. I want to surrender my life to God today. I want to surrender my life to his Lordship. If you'd say, Mel, pray for me. Today's my day. Yeah, thank you. Up in the balcony, I see you. Yeah, thank you on my right. I see you, ma'am. Praise the Lord. Who else would say, Mel, that's me. Pray for me. Yeah, I see you up in the balcony on my left. Praise the Lord. All right. The book of Romans tells us if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And so I wanna, I wanna pray this prayer with you. I want you to repeat this after me, but I want you to pray this from your heart. Don't just repeat it mindlessly. I want you to, to pray this prayer personally. So pray this with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. And thank you for sending Jesus, your only son, to stand in my place 
and pay my price on the cross. Thank you for loving me. Forgive me of my sin and help me live my life for your glory and help me to settle for more in every area of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.